You are listening to the Newborn Promise Podcast, a production of Graham Blanchard Incorporated. This is part two of our interview with Rebecca Mutz on dealing with child loss and grief. You can get today's show notes, transcript, and more information about your Newborn Promise project at grahamblanchard.com. Welcome back to the Newborn Promise Podcast. I am Audra Haney, and last week we shared a deeply moving interview with Rebecca Mutz on how to deal with child loss and grief. Rebecca shared an immense amount of wisdom and practical advice for those walking out the days and months after losing a child. If you're in the middle of grief, please make time to listen to that. It is so powerful, and Rebecca does an amazing job offering helpful insight. For those who really connected with Rebecca's heart in the first episode, we wanted to dive a little deeper into Molly's story today to share a more detailed version of Rebecca's testimony and the days leading up to the hard decision of taking Molly off of life support and ultimately watching her baby go to heaven. Rebecca and her mother, Barbara Rainey, have also written a stirring book called A Symphony in the Dark, if you want to read more about Molly after this episode. But for now, here is a glimpse into Molly's story. So Rebecca, tell us about your first pregnancy. It was from 2008 into 2009. What was it like being pregnant for the first time? I think my very first pregnancy was just so um, new, so joy-filled, so like fun. Um, You know, I didn't have any like, obviously your first pregnancy, you don't have a clue what you're doing or a clue what's going on, but it's just everything is so new and so exciting to me, at least it was. Yeah, I just loved being pregnant. It was just real um, it's just a real sweet time. And during your pregnancy, you had normal ultrasounds. You've decided to wait and let the gender be a surprise and you had a very healthy and successful delivery. Uh, what was it like meeting your baby for the very first time? You know, so she was born and they put her like they put, you know, they, when they, when they're born, they like put them right on your chest, or at least at this hospital they do. And so they had put her right on my chest. And I, I remember meeting her for the first time and she wasn't crying, but my instinct was to shush her, like, you know, with all moms do with babies, they just want to cuddle and like, shush, oh, it's okay, mommy's here. Like, I remember saying that to her and, and just being like, oh my gosh, it's a girl. Like, I just was so shocked it was a girl. Um, I couldn't believe it. Like, I really thought we were having a boy because I had all, all these people tell me, you look like you're carrying a boy. You look like you're having a boy. And so I just was convinced we were having a boy, but um, to find out she was a girl was just so exciting, so fun. Um, and so I just was like, wow, I was just, I think I was just in shock. Like you're a girl. Wow. So exciting. And like, and then just meeting her and they're like rubbing her down, like on my chest and, you know, doing all that fun stuff. And then they took her away from me and put her on the like little cart that's in your room. And they're, you know, they're getting her vitals and they're doing her APGAR score and that kind of stuff. So it, it was very like, if I were to compare it to all my other deliveries, it felt very much the same because she was born, they put her on my chest, and then they took her to the cart to do all the weighing and measuring. And then, Rebecca, things took a quick turn in a really scary way. Can you tell us what happened next with Molly? What changed is, you know, a couple minutes in to them trying to get her um, her APGAR score and just, like, checking her out, um, 
they kept saying like, she needs to cry. You know, she's not crying. She needs to cry. And I, because I was a first time mom, had literally was not afraid at that moment. I did not, I, I wasn't afraid until much later on, but I, I was like, okay, you know, some kids are, some babies just don't cry, I guess, right away. And they even said, the nurses even said, she looks stunned from birth and, you know, she'll cry here in a minute. And she did cry. It was a very weak cry, but she did kind of cry for a minute or two. And then they thought, and then they said to us, you know what, we're just going to take her down to the nursery and, um, and just, we just, we just need to check her out a little bit more. And I was kind of like, okay, fine. You know, and just clearly having no, no, uh, I just was so innocent. I would say in my mothering journey, of course, that I just had no idea that what they were doing was probably a big red flag that like, this is not good. I don't think I like got to see her for probably another hour and a half or so. And when did you realize that things were worse than you initially thought they were? When, when we were in the NICU, cause they brought her to the NICU. And when they told us that flight for life needed to take her to children's, that's when I got worried because I thought, okay, I don't think they just call flight for life for anything. Um, this must mean something. I, that's when I got a little worried. And then when they put her in that big, they had this really big stretcher that they brought in the room and it had this like, like, I mean, you know, life support machine in there that, um, you know, that they put her in and it was just so big and so scary. And there were so many buttons and wires and tubes and like so much stuff that I was like, what is happening? And I think that's when I was, I started to get worried. And then you were a brand new mom. Um, that's found yourself in the middle of a circumstance, what kind of thoughts and emotions were racing through your mind at the time? I think my emotions were just, I really just wanted to be with her. Like I just wanted to go with her to the, to children's. Like I wanted to ride on the ambulance because she was born at five thirty in the morning. And then um, I think flight for life took her to children's around like 11 11 or 12, maybe. Um, and then I didn't see her again until that evening, probably around like five or six. So we were, we were separated from about noon until like 6 PM. You know, you just don't want to be away from your baby, but like I couldn't go because I'd had an epidural. And so I could not move my legs for like several hours. And then they didn't want to discharge me from the hospital because I had just given birth, but we told them, sorry, we're not staying. We've just got to leave. And so, um, we were just in a, we were just in a, not a panic, but in a, we were very driven to get to, um, to where she was so that we could just be with her and hear what the doctors were saying and just be there. So all I wanted to do was take care of her. And like, I just remember staring at her the whole time and wishing she had a blanket and wanting to cover her up and wanting to pick her up, but I couldn't because she was intubated. So she had a tube down her throat and you know, all this different stuff. So the doctor told us that they thought there might be something going on with her brain and that they needed to do an MRI. And Rebecca, Molly had an MRI the very next day. Uh, What did the doctors tell you when those results came back? After she had her MRI on Saturday, they said, you know, we need to speak with you. And my parents were there. So they took us all into um, this room. And before we got into this room, my husband who had come and come and found me because I was sitting in this this like lactation room pumping because I'm making milk now. <laughs> Jake pops in and he's like, you need to finish pumping. The doctors want to see us. And so 
and he said, and I don't think it's going to be good. And he, he said, well, it just doesn't take that many people to share good news. And I, and he was right. So the doctors basically told us um, that she had an aneurysm in her brain and it was in the very center of her brain and it was about the size of a grape. So not even that big. So if you were to look at Molly, like a picture of her, she looked absolutely normal. She had a normal sized head. She had a normal like body. Her heart was normal. Like everything looks normal except the inside. So if you had, if you had gone inside her brain and looked, you would see that she had brain damage on both halves of her brain and um, that aneurysm steals from the brain. And so that's why she had the, um, that's why she had brain damage. So it had been going on the entire pregnancy and we just didn't know about it. So for her, um, she, if we had done surgery and if we could keep her, she would have had upwards of 20 brain surgeries by the time she was five and she would not be able to see, she would not be able to walk. And, um, she just would be, uh, she would be trapped in her body essentially. So for her, the next steps would be either, either we do the surgery or not. And the surgery required um, like putting these small coils in the veins that fed the aneurysm, which would slow down the um, the damage that was occurring like by the day or whatever, so that it would um, basically buy us more time with her, but it would not reverse brain damage. And apparently there is reversible and irreversible brain damage and her brain damage was irreversible. So there was nothing that we could do to get back some of that brain that had been lost. Um, throughout the pregnancy. So I asked the doctor, you know, if this were your child, what would you do? And he looked at me and he said, I would make her comfortable and enjoy her as long as, as long as I could. I still remember the swirls on the carpet, like the pattern of the carpet squares and just looking at them. Like that's all I looked at the whole time was just this, these circular patterns on the carpet while they were talking to us. And it was, it, it just felt surreal because I thought, how are we sitting here uh, you know, two days ago, I was pregnant. <laughs> like this baby was still in my body. And now she's fighting for her life down the hallway. And they're telling us that she's going to die. And then what did your family really focus on? You were just giving two just tragic options. What did you focus on right after you were given that prognosis? My parents were there. And they, uh, my dad, just the faithful um pillar, just the pillar of faith that he is, brought his Bible with him. And, um, you know, they gave us our prognosis. And then I think the doctors left and said, we'll give you some time to talk about it and decide what you want to do. Sitting in that room, my dad pulled out his Bible. And I don't remember what he read to us, but I just remember him reading some scripture to us and then all of us praying together. And it was so, um, I just think it was so good to be reminded to come back to, um, to come back to our knees and ask the Lord to help us make that decision or to just know what to do and how to do it. How did you and Jake even begin to process how you would make that decision? What was Jake's initial reaction? So as far as our marriage goes, we, um, of course, Jake wanted to fix and he wanted, um, he wanted to, he wanted to make sure we had covered all the ground that we need that we could. And so he had her medical records sent to children's hospital in Salt Lake city. Um, I think he had her medical records sent to like two other children's hospitals. Basically he was 
trying desperately to find someone else that maybe had um, uh, more knowledge about this than the doctors that we were seeing. And he just wanted to make sure that we had exhausted all of our options for, for her condition. He had this mentality that he needed to save her or he needed to um, make it better. And what kind of a dad doesn't fix something for their child? So he, he struggled with the, from it, from a dad's point of view, just like, I've got to fix it. I've got to save my daughter, you know, which this is so heartbreaking to think about. Um, because you just can't always fix everything for your kids. And every doctor kept coming back with the same thing, the same prognosis, the same, um, you know, you should just, you should just enjoy her. They, they all said the same thing. So, um, which was, which was also affirming, but yet just so sad to hear the same thing over and over again. Um, he, he, he exhausted all of our resources, um, which was just cool to see. Cause I think if he hadn't done that, I think he would be, he would have some major regrets. Um, you know, and he would even say to you now that he 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 would have done that all over again. And Rebecca, you had a totally different initial response. Tell me what you were feeling and what you felt was right for Molly. Yeah, we really we really struggled because I I was I was I think God had given me peace earlier than Jake um, because I I was at peace with with enjoying her as long as we, we had her and then taking her off life support. I was at peace with that decision because I felt like to put her through surgery would be um, really, really dangerous. And really, um, uh, you know, when we talked about doing surgery with that doctor, he said there was no, he would give us no, um, no guarantees that she would even make it through surgery. And I just felt like, what if she were to die during surgery? And I'm not there with her to, to be there with her in those last moments. And so I just did not want her dying on some operating table with a doctor who didn't know her. And not that he wouldn't do everything possible to save her, but he, he was not me. He, he's not her, her mom. And um, I wanted to be with her selfishly. I wanted to be with her for every single moment um, of her life. And so um, I think that was, that was mostly those were most of the reasons um, behind all of it. And really just her, her physical state, she just, she, she was, you could just tell she was, um, she was just in pain. I mean, she was declining and she was on, you know, medicine and like had a tube down her throat. And anytime you moved her, you could tell it hurt her, but she couldn't cry because of the tube down her throat. So it was just, it was just so, um, just so heartbreaking to watch her be in this state of pain and not be able to just fix it. I just wanted to fix it. Um, and I ultimately, I just wanted her to be healed. I just wanted her to be better, whether she's healed here or she's healed in heaven. I just wanted her to not be in pain anymore. Cause as a mom, you just don't want your kid to be in pain. It's obviously the Lord that gives you this knowledge and that just, he paves the way for you to make incredibly difficult decisions. Um, but I think I just knew that she was going to be whole in heaven. And that if God wanted to heal her, that he would do it because God is so much bigger than any, any illness, any disease, any complication, anything God could do whatever he wants in the moment he wants to do it. And so I knew that if he wanted to heal her, he could do it. Like I was not at all, uh, I was not at all wondering, like, could he do this? What, you know, can God heal her? No, absolutely he can do it. Does he want to? 
you know, is, is it God's will for her to be healed or is it his will for her to go to heaven and be with him? And Rebecca, what steps did you and Jacob make to finally be able to come to a decision? Both are just so hard and, and tragic, but how did you guys make that final decision? We ended up sitting down. It may have been like later on Monday, but we ended up sitting down. I was holding her um, in this chair and, um, you know, Jake was sitting next to me and our parents were sitting on the window seat of this hospital room. And we, we told them, we want you guys to be here to listen, but we don't want your input. And so we sat there with our parents who just basically were listening and we asked them not to input their their two cents on what we should do. And I think we had my brother, Samuel, in the room and we had him um, walk us through some different questions and what do you guys think and, you know, kind of helping us process through what we wanted to do. And um, he's a counselor and had, had was at the time in counseling school. So he was really good at like asking us these good questions and, you know, really helping us think through, you know, how we felt about these different things. And ultimately it was our decision. You know, it wasn't our parents' decision. Um, wasn't my brother's decision, but we just needed, we needed somebody to walk us through that decision process and help us think through um, all the possibilities and what that would mean um, so that, to help us arrive at, the, at, at, a, at an answer. And so through that, we were able to come to the conclusion that we needed, we wanted to just enjoy her and we wanted to uh, just take her off life support. That is such a hard and um, selfless decision to have to make. And in the wake of that, how were you and Jacob able to really soak up the little bit of remaining time that you had with Molly? You know, we, uh, our last few days with her, we really wanted to, to do as much as we could. And those, those, I mean, it was really like, I think three days that we had that we were like, all right, let's get a plan. So, you know, once we knew kind of the direction that we were heading with her, you know, we decided to do a baby dedication. So we did that one day. Um, and that was the day that most of our family was still here because what ended up happening is our family, most of our family flew out to meet her and be here. But then when they knew we were, we were uh, not going to pursue surgery, I think most of them left and decided they would come back, you know, come back when uh, her service was. So, because um, they just couldn't, I mean, with jobs and everything, they, they just couldn't stay for the whole time, not knowing what, you know, how long it was going to take or, you know, anything like that. So, um, so we just decided like, let's just fill up our, let's fill up our time and let's just enjoy her as much as possible. So we, um, we did it. We dedicated her on, on Monday, I think, and I had our whole family there, which was just so sweet. Uh, we got to, we got to sing some worship songs. We got to read scripture over her. We got to pray over her. It was just really cool. So we did that. And then um, another day we did a bath. So we got to like give her a bath and we did her footprints and, um, and then on Thursday, which is the day we took her off life support, we um, we had our photographer come in who had done my maternity pictures. She um, she ended up finding out about Molly's condition, and there is a um, there is a organization. It's a nonprofit. It's called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, and it's a group of photographers nationwide who donate their time to families who are who are going to lose their child, have just lost their child, or know they're going like know that it's coming and they will come and they will photograph your child however you want them to and they will edit the images and give them to you for free 
we tried to fill up each day with um, memorable, um, memorable moments that we, you know, that we could really just enjoy her. And Rebecca, do you mind just describing those last few moments that you and Jacob had with Molly before she went to heaven? Um, so it, it was real, uh, it was, I think it was real fast. Um, I think her body fought longer than her spirit. I think she went real fast, but, um, you know, she just, she'd been fading all day. And frankly, I mean, you could tell her color was going away. She was not as pink. She was more blue. Um, so we knew like, even the nurses were telling us, like, she's telling us that she's ready to go, which was so affirming as a parent to know, okay, we've made the right decision. It felt so holy, truly. I just felt like we were at the door, the door to heaven. It just felt so holy. You know, she's ready to go and God is ready to take her. So, um, you know, as a mom, I think it was obviously just incredibly heartbreaking to see your child, um, you know, not breathing anymore and not, not looking at you. Um, but I just knew that she was safe in the arms of Jesus. I mean, I just, I just can't, I can only imagine that this strong angel came and just took her, um, wrapped her up in his arms and just took her to heaven and, you know, we won't know until we get to heaven, until we can see Jesus face to face. But I just, I know that God was there in that moment and that he, um, that he cared for her so carefully and so gently. And, and I know that she just, she just went to be with him. I mean, they pulled the plug and she wasn't in any pain because they had medicine for her and all that. But, um, you know, they, they took her tubes out and we were able to sit with her and hold her like you hold a newborn not like with all these tubes, like we were able to sit with her on the couch and just look at her and kiss her face. And the tape was gone and the tubes were gone. And um, in some ways it, it was so nice to get to hold her, but then in other ways it was just so heartbreaking because she was gone. You know, I mean, her color was gone and her eyes were closed and we knew that they weren't going to open again, not for us. And so it was just, so difficult to watch her go be with Jesus but then at the same time it was I think it felt so good for my heart to know that she wasn't hurting anymore and that she wasn't um, in any pain and she was with she was whole she was healed I mean God was healing her in that moment she just it just wasn't with us you know he was healing her in his in his arms and so you know as a mom it it was a mix of emotions it was a mix of happy and sad and grief, you know, overcoming me, but also just knowing we had made the right decision. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was so sweet to get to do it with Jake and that our parents came back in the room and, you know, they got to see her and hold her again. And we all got to cry together. And, um, so it was really, uh, very memorable. I'll never forget those moments of, uh, saying goodbye to her on this side, um, knowing that, that, she was no longer no longer in pain Mm, so Rebecca what truth did you really just cling to in the midst of this unimaginable tragedy I just I I I don't know how people go through something like this that don't have the hope of heaven and so I think that was really what I clung to was knowing that we will see her again we will like we absolutely will and you know that that God had something for us 
that was going to be bigger than this moment. And he has, like, we've been able to share her story with so many people and we've been able to like give her a book away to tens of grieving families. And I know that her story has brought hope to countless people. And that is so meaningful knowing that God is using her story, using her life even still. And so that is what I clung to in that moment. I knew that God was with us. He was not going to leave us. And that he was, he was still good, even though this was horrible and sad and difficult. God was still good. And that was something my parents really reminded me of in that during all that, um, that whole week was that either God is sovereign or he's not. And you have to decide if he's sovereign or not. And of course I decided, yes, he is sovereign. And Jake and I decided this together. Like, yes, we know God is good and he's sovereign and he has a plan for, for Molly's life and death. And he has a plan for our lives after her death. So, you know, that was what I held to clung to so desperately in those, in those moments after she died. And then those weeks and months, it was just knowing that, okay, God's got a plan and I'm just waiting to see what it is. I can say now, obviously looking back, I mean, hindsight is always 2020. Like you're able to see so clearly with hindsight, but that it just was so his will for her to go to heaven. It was, it was, it was, that was part of our story. That was the, that was what God had for us. That was his plan for us was to walk through grief and to walk through the death of the child. And I think he did that because he knew that we would um, be able to use our story to help others. And and so, um, I don't know, I'm just so thankful that God has seen fit to continue to use her story. And it has been almost nine years later that he is still using her story. And I just, I, I, I can't believe it. Every time someone asks me about her, or hasn't heard her story, I just feel so honored that I get to share it again. Thank you again so much for joining us and listening to Molly's precious and eternally significant testimony today. Again, if you missed part one, we share more about the days and months that followed for the Mutz family and a snapshot of how far God has brought them and how far he has taken Molly's story. Please go back and make time to listen to that. Her story really isn't complete without both parts. And if you know a friend struggling with grief over a child, you can share these episodes, find today's show notes and transcript at grahamblanchard.com.